0: Alright, we'll go ahead and get started here. If I grab a seat. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Testing, testing. Morning. One, two, three. I could whistle if we need to, but, uh, that usually is not a popular thing. Um good morning and welcome to the firehouse. My name's Rich. I'm one of the pastors here. Just want to thank you for, uh, for joining us here this morning. Um, do we have a hand up? Maybe can get some of you guys in the front row here. or something. Pass out, out here. I've got a handout for you this morning, and um, let me see any other announcements before we get started. Some of you might be aware we are uh, doing a memory competition, memory verses, Bible verses here. So if you're of uh, the competitive sort, uh, we'd love to have you join in this. It's actually divided into guys and girls in the memory competition here. So. Um, I was noticing in the hallway, um, any, any verse that you recite from memory, you know, they put a penny in. If you're a guy, it's guys versus girls. So if you, if you get a memory verse, they put a penny in for the guys or for the girls. And uh, right now, it looks like the girls have the lead on uh, memory verses. So guys, we got to step it up here. Um, I think the score is like 1,570 for the girls and 1,470 for the guys. So... Ned was reciting some as I looked last, and so we could be caught up. I don't know, but um, anyways, uh, it's a fun competition. It's a little bit, uh, you know, if you look at the device out there that they weigh things with, um, it's always slanted in the girls' favor, here. and I think it's because it's in a slope in the hallway there. I don't know, if you push on that thing, it's not the most uh, whatever side you push down stays down. So, um, anyways, no, it's been fun doing some memory and stuff there. Um, my kids have been doing it. Again, it has divided my family. We are uh, the boys versus the girls now. So, um, But uh, my son went up to Rob the other day, and he had some pennies or something like that. He's like, Rob, can I give you some pennies uh, to put in our buckets? And I had to explain to him, you have to do your verses in order to put your pennies in the bucket. So that's no, been good. Uh, if you're not memorizing, I just especially want to encourage you man, get out there and memorize and uh, go uh, go put your pennies in the bucket there. Um, other than that, I'll just uh, let you know if you're new with us, we're, we're doing a series here. We've started we're probably about midway through a series called Envision. And really, I'll um, we'll just give you a little context of the series and then we'll pray and we'll jump right into it. Uh, this is part four of the series. And we've kind of, um, the idea of the series here, just an overview is um, we've been asked asked the question, what is a disciple of Jesus and how do we make disciples? Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so we're looking at what is, what's the essence of a disciple um, as Jesus defines it and then how do we make disciples? The first week we talked about maybe another question was, uh, do I even want to be a disciple? When Jesus kind of laid it out there for, for folks, a lot of them He said, um, you cannot even be my disciple unless you you know, love, love Him more than any other relationship. And um, He talked about you have to carry a cross in this world. And you have nothing that you love more than, than Him if you want to be a disciple. And so we, we asked, do you even want to one in on this um, and that's a tough question counting the cost and then we talked about how uh, to be to make disciples one of the greatest things we need to uh, have is well, we need to be a disciple if we're going to make disciples we must first be a disciple and then share with others and teach others what we've been taught in being a disciple we talked about how the process of uh, discipleship is really the process of becoming more like Jesus and it's a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Christ uh, then Tim talked about the last the last time before Mother's Day here. He talked about how a disciple is a worshipper. He Talked about our relationship of a disciple with God, and uh, you know that's the only relationship where we're supposed to have a, a relationship that's described as worship. People worship all sorts of things, but we are to worship God. Really, before we're a worker, we need to be a worshipper. He talked about uh, those that um, I love this story. I missed it, but I heard it on the on the teaching tape or the mp3 he um, talks about how the, some people used to worship a, an image of Jesus that they found on a tortilla you know this lady was cooking her tortilla and there were thousands and thousands of people who would go visit in this I don't know if it was a shrine or what in New Mexico but they would go look at the image of Jesus on the tortilla and I like tortillas but I think worshiping Jesus is a little overboard. So, um but anyways, um Tim talked about that. You know, we could spend a, a whole lot of time about a relationship with God, loving God supremely with all that we've got, our heart. Our soul, our mind. Um, but today we're going to shift gears a little bit. And so there's loving God, and then there's loving loving our neighbors. Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as yourself." And we've got two types of neighbors that we love. Really, um, all all of our neighbors fall into two categories. One is uh, those that are who are believers in Jesus Christ, those who are saved, or um, um, whatever other words that kind of correlate to that. Then there's those who are not believers in Jesus; they're not Christians; they're not saved and um, sometimes called the lost, you know, and so um, we're going to talk about uh, loving those who don't know Christ this morning and next week we'll talk about loving those who do and so that's, that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning, how to, how to love the lost and um, what that means and what that should look like in Jesus' um, perspective there. So we're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll jump into um, this this morning here. So let's just uh, bow our heads let's pray again. Lord Jesus, we do we do just want to look to You this morning. We want to look at Your teaching, Your thoughts, Your words. And Lord, I just pray that You would help us yield our thinking to Your thinking. Help us to obey commands we need to obey. Lord, help us to be a disciple of Yours as, as You define it. God, help us to relate to those who don't know You in, in some of the specific ways You've asked us to, You've even commanded us to. God, help us to catch Your heart. As, as we look to love those who don't know You. And we just ask that this morning, You would help us in all of this. Help us become more like You. Help us to um, be Your true disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we're gonna, if you have your hand out here, we'll be filling some of these things out as we go. I think the first, uh, first point we're going to talk about here is just, is just this one. Um, a disciple owns the mission of Jesus. A disciple must own the mission of Jesus. And um, we're going to talk about that mission. It's also known as the Great Commission. Now, I just want to start by asking, how many of you are familiar with the Great Commission? Give us a show of hands. How many familiar? Okay, now that's a, that's a double-edged question, if you will. Um, if you're not familiar with it, then great. You're at the right place. Um, we're going to talk about the Great Commission this morning. But if you are familiar with it, that kind of carries with it a danger as well, because in the Bible, uh, often being familiar with something uh, rarely plays out well. Sometimes familiarity, as the saying goes, breeds contempt. And so, we want to hopefully take a look at the Great Commission here and reaching those who don't know Christ and... Hopefully we'll be challenged to uh, maybe obey these things freshly or maybe for the first time you'll understand or or take ownership of them. But a disciple has got to own the mission that Jesus gave or else, you know, I don't know, it would be hard to say, "Hey, I'm a disciple of yours, but I just don't obey these commands related to to reaching those that don't know you. And so we're going to look at the Great Commission again. Um, The Great Commission, if you're new to that term, you know, our entire uh, association of churches is called the Great Commission Association of churches and for those of you that don't know uh, uh, I don't think Dave Ramsey mentioned this in the Financial Peace University class but the Great Commission really has to do with you know uh, the percentage of money that people give as a pastor we, we hope that we get a Great Commission out of everything that goes into our giving box so that's the idea and the hope is to increase the percentage of that commission um, no it is not about the Great Commission it's like the great Jesus commands the mission that he sent his disciples on and um, we don't have a we don't get a percentage of that here. Uh, so, anyways, um, but we're going to look at what is the Great Commission, it's made up of a number of different verses here. Um, you know, really, it comes down to in Jesus' final set of instructions that he gave the disciples. You know, he taught them and trained the disciples for three years, and then he died on the cross on that Good Friday. Then he rose from the dead on that. Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, but after that, Jesus had one final set of uh, of instructions that were consistent in all the Gospels and in the Book of Acts before he ascended to heaven. One set of instructions. Those instructions are instructions are known as the Great Commission. Um, Sometimes I read we read this book recently, the Gospel Centered Discipleship, and in that book they refer to it as the so-called Great Commission. And I got a little bit, uh, you know, I kind of got a little fight there. Who are you calling the so-called Great Commission? Our entire churches are named the Great Commission. How are you so-called... But the reality is nowhere in the New Testament does the term the Great Commission ever use. It represents this final set of instructions. And my hope is that you you know these instructions. What I found is that many who would say, I'm I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, all too often many people don't actually know the instructions known as the Great Commission. So we're going to look at those. And if you do, you know, I hope you not only know them, you know, like Jesus said, you, you'll be blessed if you do them, if you carry them out. And so, I hope it's by the time we're done this morning, all of us will be knowing and, and carrying out this mission better, maybe than we have before. And so, um, but the instructions start in Matthew. We can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and in Matthew, he says, um, you know, uh, after the resurrection, he starts this passage off, verse 18. He actually says, you know, kind of by the way, all authority has been given to me on heaven. Uh, in heaven and on earth and therefore go and make disciples of all nations and he, he tells his disciples go we've got to reach all the nations you need to make disciples of them that's really what this whole series envisioned as a disciple relates to but um, you know I think uh, sometimes you have got to ask the question what makes the great commission so great and the starting point I would say is I think it's If you look at all the missions that have ever been given to man on this planet, mankind, you know, whether it was uh, Genghis Khan trying to do his thing back in the days or even Adolf Hitler as he tried to take over the world, out of all the missions that have been embarked upon on this planet, there is no mission that is greater than this mission, the Great Commission. And I'd say one of the reasons for that is because of the person who gave the mission. There's been no greater person who has instructed mankind God Himself, the Creator, in person, Jesus gave this mission. The commander of the angel armies of heaven said, here's the mission I have for you. No greater person has given man a mission. And He's given this to us, especially as His disciples here. Another reason why it's, um, you know, what makes the Great Commission so great is, is this verse, Is another place, Matthew, Mark. These two are probably some of the most well-known parts of the Great Commission. Um... This one he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Again, when I think about a great mission, uh, there's no greater scope. Uh, the Living Bible translates this last part. Preach the good news to everyone everywhere. You don't get a greater scope than to reach everyone everywhere on the planet. That's why it's part of the Great Commission. Uh, another, another verse here. How many of you know in Matthew, Mark, Luke, where the Great Commission instructions uh, are declared in Luke. Anyone know those? Because you can write this down as you go, that's right, Luke, there's a blank there. Well, it's, it's Luke uh, 24 and 46 and 47, I think really encompass the Great Commission as far as the Gospel of Luke goes. And it's this, he was talking to, to two disciples there on the road uh, to Emmaus and... He's explaining the scriptures and everything that was written in the prophets about himself. And he told him this this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise again on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And this is more of a, this might not be a straight out and out command. He was talking to these two people, but it declares the Great Commission right here that the whole world needs to be reached with this message of forgiveness. Starting right here in Jerusalem. One of the things, again, as it relates to the Great Commission and what makes this mission so great is that I think about different uh, tasks or different places people have tried to conquer, different cities that have come in and out of conquest and things like that. Jerusalem has been occupied and reoccupied. And think about the Crusades and how there was Muslim occupation. And then the Crusaders came in and back and forth. And there's places on this planet that have been extremely hard fought for. But there's no greater place than the one we're fighting for. And that is in the hearts and souls of men and women. Uh, there is no greater territory that is, is more fickle or more deceitful and more, well, you know, here and there. And there's no greater territory that is more selfish than the one we are trying to, to win for Christ. And I think that's a part of the Great Commission. Some other religions, some other great missions, it's kind of like, you know, either you submit to the ruler who's trying to conquer you or they destroy you. In some ways it's a lot easier, you know. Submit or we kill you. Submit or I blow you up. But, but as Christians, we, we don't have it that easy. We have to say, you know, this message is one that we've got to catch the heart. We've got to woo the heart, the human heart, that is so selfish and easy to deceive. And our mission is to win as many hearts as possible. It's part of why it's called the Great Commission. Uh, hardest fought territory to win. Another one here is... Um, This one's in John. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's where the the mission again is reflected and there's different ramifications of this. But Jesus had crystal clear ownership that He came to this planet with a mission. In Luke 19.10 it says, Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He came for a specific purpose. Uh, Another place Jesus said, John chapter 4 verse 34, He said, Uh, My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was fueled by his mission. Jesus was uh, focused on this mission. And he said, now that you've seen this, I am sending you on a crystal clear mission to focus on, to fuel your lives. Are you on that mission? One of the other parts that makes this the greatest mission ever is because this mission is, has the greatest enemy that any mission has ever known. We are—he uh, sent us into this world really to rescue souls, hearts, and souls from from one who has dominion over them now. Um, you know, I think about some of these other missions. I wonder sometimes, you know, Adolf Hitler set out to conquer the world, and part of me wonders to what degree the devil and demons were involved in helping assist him in his mission. But we've got a mission where the devil of hell is furious that we are trying to to take those who are under his uh, dominion right now and headed to hell where it was really intended for him You know, I think of this passage here in Revelation chapter 12 some of you might know this speaking of the devil here it says for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Men and women, we have the greatest enemy that any mission has ever known, the devil of hell. Jesus told some different parables. I think of the story about the He talks about how the the strong man would be bound up so that only when he's bound up could his plunder be stolen. And he was referring to how he was healing and freeing people. And the way he could do that is because the devil had been bound in such a way that he could take the plunder from the devil. Anyone who has not found Christ as their Savior or found forgiveness is under His dominion and sentenced to the same sentence as the devil. Eternity in hell. And we're on a rescue mission. There's no greater mission that's ever been given to mankind. And the last one we're going to look at here is Acts 1.8, where Jesus again was speaking before He ascended into heaven. And one of His last touch points with the disciples. And He told them this, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, you know, there's a lot to that. We are to be His witnesses. We start in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. But one of the things I want to draw out of this as well is that we have the greatest resource for a mission that that any mission has ever known. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And I know to say that the Holy Spirit is a resource would be a vast understatement, but yet at the same time, there is no greater resource that any human being has ever had to carry out their mission. We've been given the very Spirit of God and His power to carry out this mission. And this is the Great Commission. And a disciple must own the Great Commission. A disciple really owns this mission. And my question is, will you own this mission? Do you own this mission? If you want to be a disciple of His, you've got to catch the mission that He gave His followers because you cannot do both be called a disciple and not have taken on the mission that Jesus gave his followers. And I know for me when I, when I first heard these verses, I remember a teaching years ago. I've been on this mission for 17 years now. But there was a time when I was, I was a part of Great Commission Church and was all these Great Commission um, conferences and Great Commission ministries that, that I eventually went on staff with. But I remember one time a, a pastor just took we were at a retreat up in Estes Park with a bunch of college students and, and he just said do you know what the Great Commission is? And I I was kind of like, well, I kind of, sort of know. But he shared these verses. And ever since that time, almost 17 years ago, these verses have marked my soul. They have guided my life, my decisions. Uh, I have ownership of these. I make decisions based off of these. When I approached my wife to get married, I brought to her, I said, I'm on this mission. Do you want to do this mission together? And my kids know that their parents are on a mission and they have ownership of the mission together. And, and I hope that you, if, if you're marked by one thing from being a part of the Firehouse Church, that, that you would have ownership of this mission. And this is the one we're on. It's the one we've called to. And, and by God's grace, we're going to give all that we have to carry it out. But you've got to have ownership of it. Um, and, and I hope that you, you do or that you would or you would be willing to consider that. It's a, it's a big, it's a big uh, challenge, but... It's the mission we've been given. Now the next thing we're going to look at here is um, every disciple is called to preach the good news. Now this, I want to talk about this for a bit here. Um, every disciple is called to preach the good news. When you think of preaching, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of preaching? How many of you like the idea of preaching? Yes, no, maybe so, No. Jeff, I hope so. Tim, maybe. I don't know. See you guys, yes. But, uh, preaching, the, the word preach and preaching and preachy has so many connotations. And most of them are not good, right? Oh, don't get preachy on me. And know, oh, there's a preacher and there's a preacher's kids. And uh, there's all sorts of preachy things. And, um, and yet, every disciple has been called to preach. Now, I would say this. Not every disciple is, is called to be a preacher, as we understand, a full-time, someone that's uh, in the ministry. Or things like that, but I would say that every disciple of Jesus has been called to preach because he said to his disciples, go and preach. Now, we have to kind of tackle what does that mean and, and what does that look like, and we're going to look at a, a few verses, an acronym to help us maybe understand that better, but um, we're, we're all called to preach, and so um, just a few thoughts to think about that. The other question I have is, okay, so we're supposed we're talking about loving the lost here. Now, how in the world is getting preachy with people loving the lost? That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Um, when it comes to loving those that don't know Christ, I'd ask this question. Who, who, how should we figure out how to love people that don't know Christ? You know, there's a couple options that I think of. One is we can ask them. Okay, you're not a Christian. Now, what do you think a Christian should do to relate to you to, to show you the love of Christ? And they could tell us all these different things. The first thing they'd probably say is, don't preach to me. Uh, don't use a preachy acronym. Um, that's fine. And we could talk to the Christians and, or ourselves. And we go, well, maybe I should decide. I know what's loving. I, I used to be you know, in, the, in their same shoes, and, and I know how to relate to the lost. And, and that's an option. Or, or the other option we could have is, well, what does God say? What are His instructions to us on relating to this group of people representing Him? Well, I, I would say this. Jesus said to go and preach to them and I didn't pick that word I saw an article in a magazine here recently a Christian magazine about being relevant and whatever and, and they, the title of the article said it's reach not preach and I'm like you know a lot of people in this modern you know this day and age we live in. that's, that's the, the sentiment we're supposed to reach them you don't got to preach them Well, I didn't pick these words out. I didn't make them up. Jesus gave them. He said, I want you to go preach. Um, Other places, the disciples, they kind of had the same sense too. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Here's what the disciples thought they had been told to do. Uh, Peter is speaking here, Acts chapter 10. And he said, speaking of Jesus, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Another time, Peter and... First Peter chapter 2, it says that we've become a, a, a priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that we may proclaim His excellencies, of uh, Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Another place, uh, Romans 10, it just says, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a great verse. You call out to Jesus and, and He'll save you. But, but how can, it goes on to say, um, well, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And we've been called, if you're a disciple, a follower of Christ, you've been called to preach. And again, that has all sorts of connotations. I'm gonna, we're going to share some thoughts here to maybe give you a more biblical perspective on what that means. Uh, which may or may not agree with your stereotype of preaching here. Another thing I think about is, so we've all been called to preach, but you know what? Each one of us has different styles. I hope you know that. Um, Bill Hybels in his book, Contagious Christian, he talked about... Six different styles of evangelism that we've all got the same command to preach, but there's going to be different styles based on who you are. He talked about the confrontational style. You know, it's like the Billy Graham preaching in, in a large stadium. I think of Tom Short, our campus preacher. The confrontational style. He talked about the intellectual style. He references the Josh McDowell. and There's an intellectual dialogue that goes on that um, brings the gospel about. He talked about um, an invitational style where you're more of an inviter uh, to things where evangelism's going on he refers to Ruth uh, Ruth Graham is it Ruth Graham Bell no Billy Graham's wife uh, Ruth Bell Graham maybe that's probably the better way to say it she took his name after all um but um, she invited people to these things the woman at the well is an example of she invited the whole city to go talk to Jesus at the well there's an inviting style there's an interpersonal style where you, you know Paul said I become all things to all people I relate to each person so to win some there's uh, what's another style they have a serving style you know the idea of what uh, like Mother Teresa she was uh, you know whether you know it or not she was a, a die hard follower of Jesus Christ but she approached things from a serving um, the you know the lost the the hurt the broken in order to to share what she wanted to share Uh, I think one of the last files here interpersonal I forget the last one here I think You know, I was thinking there was um, was the irrational and there was the um, emotional. No, I'm just joking. Those are not the... But uh, there's different styles. And we're going to take some time this summer to actually study out each one of those styles and try to identify. We've all been called to preach. What is your style? You know, a testimonial style is the last one I was thinking of there. Um, Just using your story to help communicate the gospel. And different people like Corey Ten Boom would be an example of that. And so... uh, But anyways, we're going to look at some of these... uh, Facets here in this acronym, PREACH. This acronym is just to help us understand some concepts and maybe to, when we think of PREACH, we go instead of wherever that stereotype takes you, maybe we could take you to some places here that are uh, a little more biblical. The first letter in PREACH, the letter P is proclaim. Proclaim the good news. You know, the essence of PREACH, what makes preaching Preaching is the idea that it's got to be proclaimed. You've got to proclaim the message. Um, as a matter of fact, the English Standard Version of the Bible renders the same. Mark sixteen fifteen. it says, proclaim the good news. Uh, it's the idea of publishing, um, of being a herald. We've got to speak the good news. That's the heart of preach. And there's other words that get us there. Proclaim would be one of them. And so we've got to proclaim the good news. And it's the good news, you know. Um, and that's part of why this could be a loving thing because we're, we're speaking good news to people. And so... Uh, this other fill-in-the-blank here. We've got to use words to proclaim the gospel. We've got to use words. There's different sayings out there. One of them is, uh, I forget who said it. There's different people uh, who quote this this uh, or reference to this quote. But it's the idea, um, I preach the gospel all the time and occasionally I use words. How many of you have heard that before? I preach the gospel all the time and on occasion, I even have to use words. You know, that's a nice concept. The idea is good. We want to be following Christ. We want to be showing the example of loving and serving. And and yet... Jesus really did, mean, preach really actually means the words of the gospel. The good news, we actually have to share it verbally, you actually have to do. You do have to use words and, and there's no way around that and that's really what proclaiming is about, proclaiming the words of the gospel. That Christ lived and that he died and he rose again and he's coming back for those who are his. And so um, we've got to proclaim it. Another, uh, Word here, there's proclaim. It's the essence of preach. The next one I would write down here is, you can put reach or rescue. What do we put there? Reach. We have to reach them with the gospel. And uh, the next blank on that same point is, it's a search and rescue mission. And there's a number of verses related to this. Again, Luke 19.10 says, for uh, so the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It's a search and rescue mission. I think about Romans 1.16 um, here that says, um, It puts it like this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You know, when you share this message of what Christ has done on the cross, when you share that message with someone and they respond by believing that Jesus did that for them, even inviting Him into their life as Lord and Savior, a person has a chance to be saved, to be rescued from their sins, from the punishment they've earned by sinning against their Creator. And this message, you put it before them and they have the chance to be rescued, to be saved. You know, Jude, one of the verses, I think about a little bit of the firehouse story, relates to this concept of how we've got to reach people with the Gospel. Um, Jude 23, I'd say it's Jude one twenty-three, but um, there is only one chapter here with Jude. But it says this in the New American Standard, in verse 23, Save others, snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by flesh. But save others, snatching them out of the fire. You know, one of the reasons we're, we're called the firehouse church... A has to do with the idea of the firemen. You think of firemen or firefighters and how they lay down their lives to try to save people from the flames of this, you know, the here and now and this life on earth. And, and really a disciple has been given a mission to save people from flames of an eternal sense, of a, you know, beyond the here and now but forever, the flames of hell that we need to save them from. And, but I remember uh, it was probably 13 years ago this uh, August, There was a story on the news about a firefighter down here in Denver... And I just remember being in bed at night watching the news, and there's a story about a guy that was flooding going on here in the city. And uh, this firefighter, I think he was even off-duty at the time um, with with a buddy of his, but a woman had got stranded, and her car was being surrounded by water. It was getting swept away. And these guys made it to her somehow with a rope, with a a rescue line. And they got the rope to this woman, and in the process, one of the firefighters slipped and was swept away. And drowned. He lost his life, but he was in the process of rescuing this woman. This woman lives, still alive to this day. I'd like to look her up sometime. But, but what stuck with me is this idea of a disciple. I was wrestling through what is a disciple and how does a disciple love the lost. But with the gospel, when it comes to preaching the gospel, it's like extending a rescue line. And we've got to do that even if it risks our own life. And, and all we have to do is extend the line. You know, they could decide if they want to take hold of it or not. They don't have to believe it. But our job is to extend a message by which they could be rescued. You know, I think about the woman that was there getting swept away and they extended this line to her and, and she took hold of it and her life was saved. And there's people we're going to offer this good news to about forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And some people are going to be like... Hey, that's offensive. you're implying that I'm a sinner, I've sinned against God, I'm not going to a good place on my own. And some people say, I don't want to take hold of that. And that's fine. We want to do everything we do with love and respect, but we have got to extend the rescue line to them. And that's part of preaching. When you're sharing with people, you've got to extend something that they could believe and respond to and and call out to their Lord and Savior. As it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, got to reach them. The next one um, has to do with the scope. Who are we trying to rescue here? And That is everyone, everywhere. Everyone, everywhere. The Living Bible puts it like that. Preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. That's who we're trying to reach. And that means there's ramifications I just want to draw out on that point. Is, um, that means we're going to have to reach two types of people. You can fill in your blank here. you got to reach those that you like and those that you don't like. Right? No, that's the joke. I'm just joking. I'm trying to reach those that you know and those who you don't know. Uh, I hope you you don't have too many people on the list that you don't like. Um, Maybe you want to get a little preachy with them, but that's how we're really talking about them. There's those you know and you don't. So I means there's two types of evangelism, though. There's two major groups of evangelism. One is called initiative evangelism. Some call it confrontational evangelism, cold turkey evangelism. You're sharing this good news with someone you don't know. And the other type is called friendship evangelism or lifestyle evangelism. And I want to make this point, is that if we're trying to reach everyone everywhere, we're going to have to use both types of evangelism. When you look at the New Testament, you know, if you think about Paul sharing the good news with only the people that he knew, there would have been a lot of things that didn't happen in the New Testament. A lot of people who did not come to know Christ, a lot of families that were not saved, and cities that were not reached, because Paul, well, I don't know you, so I can't share this with you. Well, that's not true. If we're going to reach everybody everywhere, we've got to reach some people that we don't even know. And the thing that I want us to avoid is that sometimes you can be in one camp or the other. And you go, yeah, I'm confrontational, making friendships. I'm not all for that, but I do like to preach and let me at them, you know. Um, and we can judge the other camp. You know, Oh, they're just making friendships. Yeah, that's not going to do anything. Um, um, or the other side, we can be judging oh they 're so preachy, they talk about jesus all the time i 'm a good friend and they 're so good that i 've never mentioned Jesus to them they probably don 't even know i 'm a christian, but that 's because I have such a good friendship with them we got to avoid both of those errors we don 't preachy and not making friends. We don't want to be such a good friend that they never realized there was a Savior that they needed. We want to do both. We've got to reach everyone, everywhere. Those we know and those we don't. And let's not judge. One of you, you may have a strength in one of those camps or the other, but we've got to make sure we don't judge one another and realize the mission is to reach everyone, everywhere. That means God's going to give you some opportunities sometimes with someone on a bus or on a plane that maybe you don't know from Adam, but He does. And He knows their life and He knows their ready to hear the good news or maybe it's someone a friend or a family member that you're trying to reach and and that's great as well I think if we err at all it's in uh, uh, trying not reaching those who we don't know or or maybe thinking that's an offensive idea but it's not um, if you understand the mission let's see we're going to keep plugging away at these points the next one is So A is ask God for opportunities. How do we preach? Well, we've got to proclaim it. We've got to reach Him with the gospel. It's everyone everywhere. But we've got to ask God for opportunities. What I have found in my own life, even as a full-time preacher, if you will, or pastor, uh, the opportunities I get with the gospel almost directly correlates with when I'm asking God from God. Give me a chance to share with that person or give me someone to share with. And inevitably, I feel like God provides an opportunity either that I didn't see coming in advance or an opportunity with someone I actually have been praying for. We've got to ask God for those opportunities. And I think of this verse, some of you might know it. It could be a little convicting, but what if it was actually true? Uh, James said this, um, You do not have because you do not ask God. You really want an opportunity to share your gospel? You think God's going to be like, no, you've shared with enough people. I just really don't think you need any opportunities. No, I get a sense that God really wants to reach people. And if you ask Him for an opportunity in faith and with the right heart, I would not be surprised to see you getting an opportunity to share. what you know of Christ with someone sharing your story or something. But we've got to ask. For those opportunities. I like the question, who is next? You know, Acts 17, um, this passage here just talks about Paul said, God knows the exact times and places. We'll read this, Acts 17, real quick here. Um, From one man he made every nation of men so that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined to set times for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Paul was preaching um, in, uh, in Athens here, and he's just telling, Hey, by the way, God placed everyone where they are on the planet. There's no forgotten people group. What about the tribe in, in Africa or in South America? And God knows exactly where every person is. And as a matter of fact, it says that He's placed them in cultures and times and places that they're probably going to be the most likely to reach out to Him. And what that means for us practically is that it is highly likely God has placed you with people who you could be um, the best uh, witness that they ever know of Jesus Christ. That you are possibly the, the best chance that some, someone has at hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. And so what I like to just ask God is, He says, hey, there's times where they're going to call out. And the New Testament contains, you know, this guy trying to, he's reading through the gospel basically as it's explained in Isaiah. God sends Philip there and says, go explain Jesus to him. And Philip went right up to him. The guy got saved, got baptized, right there on the spot. But there's people out there like that right now. And my question is often, God, who's next? Who do you want to reach next? Maybe I know them. Maybe I don't know them. But I'm willing to share with them. Who's next? And, And I would encourage us all to be asking that question. Lord, who is next for me to share with? We've all been called to share. Who is next for you or for me to share with them? And watch out. Watch out for opportunities to come knocking after that. Um, so we got to ask God. We've got to catch God's heart. You know, um, we could spend a lot of time on this. We've got to keep moving. It's a heart of compassion. You know, Luke chapter 15, at one point the Pharisees are asking Jesus, why do you eat with sinners, Jesus? Why do you eat with those sinners? And Jesus shared three different uh, parables there. And One was about, he said, hey, look, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, are you not going to leave your 99 behind and go get that one because it's important to you? And when you do find it, you celebrate. Uh, So he shared about sheep or animals. You know, I don't know any of you have sheep that you're really fond of not here currently. I know Grace's dad has some still. Um, we've got chickens. Some of I can relate to the story in chickens. If I had a chicken wander off, which we did a while back, we went and searched the neighborhood and we found the chicken stuck behind the coop upside down with his legs in the air. And um, It was sad and traumatic, but we went looking for our chicken, you know, and, and we found it. But the next parable he shares about someone who has a valuable coin. If you lose a valuable coin, are you not going to search for it and celebrate when you find it? And in some I wonder if this progression is not in order of value. Um, a chicken or a sheep, you know, if you've got a precious coin, depending on how precious it is, you could probably buy a little flock of sheep maybe. But the coin is likely more valuable. But the last part, he shares a story about a dad who had two sons and one of his sons was lost and wandered off. And he just talked about the compassion of the father when that son came back. And you know, you might know the, the closing of that passage. I'll just read that last one from you in Luke here, 15. But just see, we've got to catch God's heart here. He just said, um, My son, you know, He's talking about the son that didn't wander off. The father said, You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But so we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus was using these parables to express the heart that God has for every person, every soul. You know, you've never met a person who is not an eternal being, who is not going to have an eternal existence. For me, sometimes I can fall into the trap of going, okay, if they're Christians, they're going to heaven. We're going to celebrate and party in the clouds forever. And if they're not Christians, I don't want to think about that. Who knows what happens there? But if you really understand the soul that God has created that every person you know will exist forever. Every person you know will exist forever. And for some people, that eternal existence is going to be in heaven, with everything good, with no sin. It's going to be awesome. And for some people, that existence is going to be forever in the most horrible, dreadful place you can imagine. You've never met a person who's not going to have an eternal existence. And we've got to realize that. And sometimes you think about, you know, I hear people say, you know, well, hell is it's hell is here on earth, you know. But the reality is is if you catch some of these things, for Christians, some of you go through hard times and different things, but you know, if you've experienced a hard time here on earth, that is the worst it's ever going to get. That's as hard as it will ever be, whatever you've gone through. And if you go through it in faith and trusting God, there's even going to be a reward and a glory in that for you, no matter how hard it gets. But for someone who does not know Christ, this broken, sinful, dark world, is as good as it's ever going to get. Because the next step out of here, there's going to be no hope. There's going to be no good, no love, nothing from God. It's all going to be taken away. When someone wants an existence apart from God, that is what hell's going to be and it's going to be worse than they ever imagined. This is as good as it gets for some people. We've got to catch a sense of compassion for the souls of men and women, those that know them and those especially who don't. And we've got to get this message to them. We've got to catch God's heart at the heart of compassion. The last one here on this is just have no hindrances when it comes to reaching out to people. When it comes to getting your prayers answered, we have no hindrances. The Psalm sixty-eight talks about how God would not uh, answer prayers. He says, "If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me." For God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. As we're praying for opportunities, as we're trying to reach the lost, we need to make sure that we don't have unconfessed sin in our life. Sin that we're just kind of going along with, not calling it sin, not dealing with it, just compartmentalizing some area of our life That God will not bless that. God will not give you opportunities um, if you got unconfessed sin. Praying with unbelief. Sometimes we ask over and over for things, but we ask over and over again because we didn't believe God heard us the last time or the time before that. And we've got to get rid of the unbelief and start going, God, you know, I'm praying for this person. I thank you that you've heard my prayers. I thank you that you want to say them. I thank you that you, you're looking to give me an opportunity because I asked you in faith. And, and we've got to make sure we don't have unbelief. or a compromised witness, again, if you have some, something in your lifestyle that you go, I really want to share Jesus And and if I do, they're going to say, well, what about that part of your life? You're getting drunk all the time. You're sleeping around, but you're going to tell me about Jesus? Oh, don't do that. You know, um, we've got to make sure our lifestyle is consistent as well. We've got to be obeying if He gives us opportunities. But those are some things to think about, maybe to wrestle with. We've all been called to preach. Um, And so... These are some, hopefully will help bring our thoughts in line with God's thoughts as it means relates to preaching is a good thing. I think about how my life has been changed because I heard the gospel because someone shared it with me. And I go, yeah, I can see. To pass it on to someone else, it is a loving thing to do. And eternity is at stake here. And and there's nothing really more loving than helping them to hear this, knowing what God has done in my life through responding to the, the gospel message. And we've got to catch that heart. But we're going to shift gears here to one last acronym just to um, wrap things up. We'll watch an encouraging video and we'll call it a morning here. But for so the first, so we're talking about loving the lost by preach. We've got to preach. And the next acronym if you flip over here... Preach and bless. you got to preach and bless. You know, maybe preaching doesn't sound like a blessing, but if you've got the right heart and you're sharing the good news and, and all of that, it should be a blessing. It should really be a blessing. Um, but every disciple can bless the lost. So we're going to talk about a few habits. Maybe you haven't ever had the opportunity to see someone uh, hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and place their trust in Christ, invite Christ into their life. I, I think there's no greater... Pleasure, uh, delightful thing in life, and to see someone right before your very eyes express their faith in Jesus Christ and invite Him into their life. It's, it's an awesome thing if you haven't experienced it. But here's a few practical steps, regardless of your experience, regardless of your uh, training, your education. Here's a few practical habits we can all start doing that I think will help us. And the first one is this. This acronym BLESS um it's given to me by a friend we were at a pastor's meeting out at LA a couple months ago but one of the guys shared this acronym he uses in his church um, some of you might know Todd uh, Todd Watkins is out in Texas there, but he got this from I think one of the guys in one of our churches out on the east coast there I don't know Burke Wilson might have passed this on someone but it's, a, it's one that I go I, I can remember that he shared this acronym and the verses and the actions related to it like five minutes later I could still remember it ten minutes later I totally forgot but I'm, five minutes, no. but I'm hoping that the thought is this acronym just to help us to remember things that are scriptural here. And the first one is simply this. Um, when it comes to blessing the lost, begin to pray for them. And I would say pray for them by name. You know, there's no label like, God, help me to love the lost. Because like there's some person out there named the lost. No, every person has an individual name. And you know, God knows every person by name and their names are written in the book of life. And begin to pray for someone by name. Who's he given you? Who's he placed on your heart? Begin to pray for them. Uh, we, we have a little tool that some of you might have. There's one in the back of the room, but there's just a, a cross. It's kind of about some of the disciples' different relationships here, but one of them is relating to the lost and, and seeking and to save the lost and you can put their names down here. Begin to pray for them daily. I'm always encouraged when uh, when I get back in the habit of praying daily that uh, I have my last card that had names on there's people's names who I did get the opportunity to share with and people who have uh, placed their trust in Christ. And I've had to add new names to that. But um, begin to pray daily. So that's, that's something any one of us can do. Pray daily for someone by name. Uh, the next one is uh, listen. Listen to them. You know, that's pretty simple enough. I, I think there's a lot of different verses we could have... Used to, I put down Proverbs 11.30 but and that's the proverb that says he who is wise wins souls. When you're listening, when you're interacting with someone, you got to listen. What, what angle do they view life from? What is the way I can get the gospel into their life? you got to be listening and looking for ways to bring the gospel into their world. But, but we've got to be listening. and. Uh, attentive to that and listening to the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit will give us an angle to, you know, talk to this person about being a new creation, or you know, maybe they, they seem to struggle with guilt or shame. Come at it from that angle about forgiveness, um, whatever it is. Maybe being a belonging to a, a family and they long for that sense of family. But we've got to all of us start listening as we interact with people. Another one is a pretty straightforward one. I think, you know, at the firehouse, we might have the gift of eating with people, you know. Eat with those who don't know Christ. Jesus did that all the time. He, he barged into different people. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat, buddy. Get ready. Matthew, he went and ate with Matthew. And the Pharisees were like, why are you eating with these sinners? And Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I knock on the door. You know, whoever hears my voice opens the door. I want to come in and eat with them and them with me. Eating is a, it's a relational thing. It's a personal thing. Sometimes to eat with someone, you've got to come into their home. You kind of go, wow, this is what this is their world. Whoa, I will begin praying for you even more, you know. um, so we gotta you gotta eat with them and you know um, we've been blessed. We've got an opportunity right after church today to eat with some people we've been praying for and reaching out to for a number of years. And I'd like to say it's because I wanted to have it be an illustration for this teaching point, but we scheduled it months ago before we knew we'd be talking about this. But uh, just there's something about coming into someone's world that Grows your heart for them. It helps you understand them and how the gospel might fit and, and how God might want to get in their lives. There, but uh, I encourage you make a habit of eating with someone who doesn't know Christ. I think we have a good habit of eating with people who do. You know, there's fellowship and, and eating with believers all the time. But we've got to make some specific steps to, to eat with those who don't know Christ. Sometimes here. Um, the next one, serve them. Now, this is a classic verse. We know this one. Uh, Jesus he said, um, he was saying of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you want to see someone come to know Christ, maybe a friend or family member, serve them. I don't even go so far to say serve them sacrificially, that he, he gave his life as a ransom in order to serve those that were lost. And but we need to make sure we're we're serving people as well. Um, Last S here is uh, share, share your story and, and His story. Look for opportunities to share your story. And you have a testimony of how you became a Christian. When was it that you came to place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Uh, share, share that story and share His story about Him dying on the cross for their sins and, and rising again to prove it all true and that He's coming back for those who have looked to Him as their Lord and Savior. But share your story and share His story and that's blessed. Begin to pray. If you don't like that we worked in prayer on the letter B, I think you could use the word beseech. Uh, That that would work. But begin to pray. Beseech God for somebody. Uh, Listen to them. Eat with them. Serve them. Share your story. We're going to close with a video here that just talks about the... Begin to pray about this Just So It campaign. Right now is a... Um, association nationwide, we're in a campaign called Just Sew It, and there's some resources that have been made available that are on your handout here. A few websites that help equip us with tools. Um, at the pastors' conference we're going to in a month, here the theme of the conference is Just Sew It. We've got some things. I don't know where I put them, we've got them up there. We've got uh, nationwide, they've made these little bracelets here. I don't know if you're a bracelet wearing fan. This is, I think, my first ever bracelet. I think my kids' arms are just loaded with them. Um, but no, they don't have that many. But we've got a bracelet we want to pass out to anyone who wants it. It just says, just sew it. And you can kind of face it so you read it because we need to share our story and share his story. And we're going to watch a video here. I think what we might get in the habit of doing, a, each week uh, there's an email that goes out. That contains a just-so-it story of someone sharing their story or sharing his story or just even inviting someone to church. And we're going to watch, try to get in the habit here of watching a video each week. And we're going to close with this video. Uh, Josh is going to share, Josh Whitney, and then also there's a a girl who goes by the name Ten. She's going to share as well. But... um, We'll go ahead and watch this video and then I'll, I'll pass these out. Uh, if you want one, take one. We'll have a couple bags of these uh, just so it bracelets going around here. But watch this video and then we'll pray and be done.
1: Hi, my name is Josh Whitney, and one way I've been simply sowing the gospel is praying for opportunities. It says in Colossians 4, pray also for us that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. As so I've been praying, God, give me opportunities to simply sow. So I went to make copies at Kinko's this week, and I made 900 copies for a small group. It's a big old stack of copies, and I dropped it on the counter, and I needed a copy of my receipt from the clerk there and he's like that's a lot of copies and I thought I don't need your questions just give me a receipt and I thought this is the opportunity that I was praying for and so I said yeah I'm actually a pastor at church at the Rock Church and these are copies for our small group discussions he goes oh you're a pastor he said I have a question for you explain the Trinity to me and so then for the next two or three minutes I talked about the Trinity and the doctrine and some of the key verses and the concepts and I had a church invite card on me so I pulled it out and I said if you go to our website we have a statement of faith on there and it's got some verses that will explain kind of the biblical basis for the trinity so we had a cool conversation gave him a rock in by card, directed him to church and so for me it was one praying for the opportunity and then two when god drops it in my lap actually breaking out of my busy routine and stepping into it and having a conversation with a guy so that's it thanks for listening
2: My name is Kristen. Um, most of you all know me as Ten. And I want to share a story with you today about how God used me to simply sow his gospel recently. Um, I lo- I went on a trip down to Kanab. Um, it was a short business trip with a woman that I work with. Um, I've known her professionally for a couple of years. And she knows that I originally moved to Utah to help start The Rock Church. Um, other than that, she and I really don't know much about each other on a personal level. So I was a little bit nervous to travel with her um, because the trip to Kanab is is six hours one way in a car so I knew we'd have a lot of one-on-one time Um, When I knew I'd be traveling with her, I started praying that God would use me to share the gospel with her, um, that I'd be able to share a part of my life, and uh, God answered that prayer in a tremendous way. Um, It really stunned me, as a matter of fact. Uh, When Lee came to pick me up from my house for our trip, I got in her car, and literally the first thing that she said to me was, tell me more about your church. From that point, she and I talked about Jesus. We talked about her spiritual background. I shared my testimony with her. Um, I shared stories with her about ways that I have seen God move in my own life and in the lives of the people around me. We talked about the Bible. She recently started reading the Bible again. Um, Really everything from A to Z. And we talked about the assurance that you can have of salvation when Jesus Christ is your Savior. Um, It was really amazing that God so clearly clearly answered my prayer in a way that I couldn't even avoid. We were in a car together. Lee was ready and waiting to share the gospel, and God used me as a conduit for his word and for his spirit to touch her heart. And so I want to encourage you guys as you're out there simply sewing and passing out gospel tracts and, and leaving TRC cards and all sorts of different places to really, really pray and really pray for the people who are going to pick those up, even if it's the person who just picks it up and throws it in the trash to pray for their hearts and to be ready to see God answer those prayers.
0: Well, we're going to probably begin doing some of those ourselves. So, If any of you um, has a story that you want to share, and then if anyone else has a video camera, we'll probably get started. Uh, probably if you've got an iPhone, you've got a camera there. But Or if, if you want to be involved with the Firehouse Video Ministry that is starting today, um, talk to me. We'd love to get your help and, and share stories like this. Just uh, simple steps of obedience and sharing the gospel. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. and. And we just ask for your help. Help us to take ownership of this mission that you've given us. Help us to have just a clarity, a focus on this mission and let it fuel us. Um, God, I pray you protect us as we try to get um, the good news out as we're being opposed by the devil of hell who's furious about it. And God, I pray that you would make us effective, continue to equip us and encourage us and empower us to share the gospel more and more effectively. Lord, I just pray you'd bless our little steps of faith to just sow it. God, we just ask that you would do some amazing things, some huge things as we kind of step into this world of just sowing it. And we ask for your grace and your help in all of this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for coming this morning. There is a, a couple bags of these bracelets floating around here somewhere. So if you want one, make sure you grab them. Um, they'll probably be on the back table here as well. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning, guys.